I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. Greed, deception, abuse of power, that's no plan. They, they just gatekeep knowledge, you know? They're, they're to total masters of deception. They manipulate everything. You know, these, these pricks at the helm have lied to us. It's... I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false, and I need to go back to work for the American people. They're, they're setting it up for the Great Deception. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it all revolves around the Great Deception. Yeah, right? it, bingo. And L.A. and I talked about that. I said, L.A., is this the Great Deception? And he didn't hesitate. He said, absolutely. I never used to question before, and now I question everything. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. The world needs a wake-up call. We're going to fall it in. And welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. Thanks for joining me. Tonight, this is kind of an impromptu show that I just kind of came together over the weekend. Um, as all of you know, they are talking about October 7th as Israel's 9-11. Well, I, I find that quite interesting, you know, one to call it that, but when you start looking at some of the stuff that I've, I've come across now that we are two months out from that date. You start to see, okay, we the hysteria and the emotion from the initial conflict wears off. And now you start getting some actual reporting on what happened that day, numbers from that day. Uh, you still get conflicting reports, which is true with every one of these major events. Look at the different school shootings. Look at the different uh, Vegas incident. Oklahoma City, 9-11, everyone has multiple stories along with it, and this is no different. Now, what we were pitched initially was that these Hamas terrorists came over and just savagely attacked a concert and citizens and all this stuff. Well, the more you dig into it, yes, they did kill a lot of people, and that is disgusting and inexcusable. On the other hand, when you look at it, a more than a quarter, almost a third of those people were military personnel and police force. So they did target military targets. So I just want that to be understood that this wasn't them. And, and listen, we're going to go over this in a second here, that all that nonsense about beheading babies and, you know, all this stuff, these are all stories to stir up your emotion. There was no 40 beheaded babies. We said that from day one. We called that as bullshit. It's the same story. And this is what they do. And this is what you have to understand. And that's why I kind of wanted to put this together tonight. Because when I saw these articles come out, I'm like, this is, this is the 9-11 playbook. This is right out of 9-11. What's going on here? And you start looking at it. Okay. And let, let's take a look at it now. What happened on, on October 7th? What was the initial death toll to the Israeli population? So right now, the numbers around 1,200 Israelis were killed on October 7th, over 380 of which were IDF Um there was another, I want to say 30 or so, 30 to 40 police, local police that were killed and some emergency services and the rest were citizens. 
Now, the interesting thing about that is we're going to, and we'll get into this a little bit later. Some of those citizens may have been killed by friendly fire. Much like rumors and videos you've seen from what happened in Las Vegas, there's similarities here with helicopters and things like that. So, 1,200 Israelis are killed. Now, as of November 23rd, which is two weeks ago almost now, 14,500 Palestinians have been killed in Gaza. 35,000 injured. Now, think about that. For 1,200, we're at 14,500, and we're just hitting the beginning of the Israeli ground campaign. Think about that. Is that equal retaliation? I mean, it sounds like a war crime to me. It sounds like what we did in, and I'm not saying we, I'm done saying we, what the United States government did in the Middle East. It sounds like what the United States government did in Afghanistan. Okay, and it is not right. And you're looking here, but what we have on the screen right here is from the New York Post on Monday, yesterday. It says, hell on earth, Israel launches 10,000th airstrike in Gaza. 700 people reported killed in the past 24 hours. Okay, so for every... citizen israeli that was killed so far there have been 10 airstrikes against gaza for each one of them just about that's crazy that's that's not that doesn't make any sense in what world is that rational response i'll i'll leave that there so now we're going to look at yeah, here it is. So three. this was 368 plus 59 police, okay? And that only had it at 1,100. That's why this number went up a bit because that number has also increased. And this is from Haaretz, okay? Haaretz is an Israeli newspaper. So it's not like we're pulling this out of nowhere and, and just making it up, okay? So now, why are we here tonight? Well, what I found interesting was and when was this on november 30th which is last wednesday or you know a week ago israel knew from the new york times israel knew hamas's attack plan more than a year ago a blueprint reviewed by the times laid out the attack in detail israeli officials dismissed it as aspirational and ignored specific warnings hmm Hmm. Now, if that doesn't ring a bell, now what will? Let's see here. Let's let's go over to our friend. Oh, where is he? All right, there he is. Let's go to Chrome. Now, what do we know? Let's move this. Okay, get this out of the way. What do we know? About 9-11. Well, here we go. What the CIA knew before 9-11? New details. And this is an article, again, from 2015. Bin Laden determined to strike in U.S. The CIA's famous presidential daily brief presented to George W. Bush on August 6th. Okay, so that was a month before 9-11. Has always been Exhibit A in the case that his administration shrugged off warnings of an Al-Qaeda attack. But months earlier, starting in the spring of 2001, the CIA repeatedly and urgently began to warn the, the White House that an attack was coming. By May of 2001, uh, then chief of CIA's counterterrorism center said it was very evident that we were going to be struck. We were going to be struck hard and lots of Americans were going to die. There were real plots being manifested. Um, George Tennant said, 
uh, told me in the in the first interview in eight years. George Tennant was director of the CIA. The world felt like it was on edge of eruption. It was a time period of June and July. The threat continues to rise. Terrorists were disappearing as if in hiding in preparation for an attack. Camps were closing. Threat reportings on the rise. The crisis came to a head on July 10th. The critical peak, uh, critical meeting that took place that day was first reported by Bob Woodward in 2006. Tennant also wrote about it in general terms in 2007 memoir at the center of the storm. But neither he nor Black has spoken publicly until now or supplied so much detail about how specific and pressing the warnings really were. Over the past eight months, in more than 100 hours of interviews, I talked with Tennant and 11 other living former CIA directors for the Spy Masters, a documentary uh, set to air this month. On sh- so it's on. Sh- it's a Showtime documentary from back in the day. The drama of failed warnings began when Tennant and Black pitched a plan in the spring of 2001 called the Blue Sky Paper to Bush's new national security team. It called for a covert CIA and military campaign to end the Al-Qaeda threat getting into the Afghan sanctuary, launching a paramilitary operation, creating a bridge with Uzbekistan. And the word back, says Tennant, was we're not quite ready to consider this. We don't want a clock, uh, the clock to start ticking. Translation, they did not want a paper trail to show that they'd been warned. Black, a charismatic ex-operative who helped the French arrest the terrorist known as Carlos the Jackal, says the Bush team just didn't get the new threat. I think they were mentally stuck back eight years before. They were used to terror, uh, terrorists being Euro lefties. They drank champagne by night, blow things up during the day. How bad can this be? And it was very difficult uh, sell to communicate the urgency to this. Okay, so on the morning of July 10th, the head of the agency's Al-Qaeda unit, Richard Blee, burst into Black's office. And he says, Chief, this is it. Roof's fallen in. This information that we had compiled was absolutely compelling. It was a, a multiple sourced and it was sort of the last straw. Okay. It says, uh, I said, Condi, I have to come to see you. It was one of the rare times in my seven years as director where I said, I have to come see you. We're coming right now. We have to get there. Tenant vividly recalls the White House meeting with Rice and her team. George Bush was on a trip to Boston. Uh, Richard Blee started by saying there will be significant terrorist attacks against the United States in the coming weeks or months. The attacks will be spectacular. They may be multiple. Al-Qaeda's intention is the destruction of the United States. What do you think we need to do, said Condi. Black responded by slamming his fist on the table and saying, we need to go on a wartime footing now. So he wants to go on a preemptive strike. What happened? Yeah. What did happen? To me, it remains an incomprehensible still. I mean, how is it that you could warn senior people so many times and nothing actually happened? It's kind of like the Twilight Zone. Okay, my recollection of the meeting is not very crisp, according to Rice, because we were discussing the threat every day, she said. I thought we were doing what needed to be done. Of course, right? So it says, uh, yeah. Okay, so once a year, the present and former CIA directors, ranging from George H.W. Bush in uh, 91 to the current boss, John Brennan, meet in a conference room at CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia. The ostensible reason to receive confidential briefing on the state of the world, okay, they mostly tell us stuff we already know, and we pretend we're learning something, says Tennant. Um on the burning coil, where is that other one I wanted to show you? Okay, so, uh, yeah, so basically this goes through and now, now he's going to start talking about what they did after their reaction to it. But let's go back to what we were just looking at. And what did they say? They said that Israel knew 
of the plan more than a year before and did nothing. Well, why? Why would they do nothing? Now, let's, but before we get too deep into this, uh, are you kidding me? Now they're going to, oh yeah, that's right. We didn't, we don't need that anyway. We're going to, um, we're going to, I'm going to ask why was this a good thing for Netanyahu? And this is one of the things that happens over and over. And, and these things always seem to benefit someone. And this one seemed to benefit Benjamin Netanyahu and his Likud party. Now, why do you ask? Well, because prior to this attack, for the previous 10 months or so, there were growing protests because Satanyahu was trying to uh, limit the powers of the Supreme Court in Israel, make reforms so that the Likud party would have more power, and the people were protesting heavily against this. Okay, so what better way to distract the people from that than a terrorist attack? which is what some people are saying, why they left their guard down. Well, this explains why they left their guard down, okay? So let's take a look at this article. And it's from, uh, like I said, New York Times, Ronan Bergman, and Adam Goldman. Israel officials obtained Hamas's battle plan for the October 7th terrorist attack more than a year before it happened. Documents, emails, and interviews show. But Israeli military and intelligence officials dismissed the plan as aspirational, considering it too difficult for Hamas to carry out. Think about that. They're like, oh, this is way too tricky for these guys, right? Very similar to 9-11. Oh, how could these guys hijack planes and fly them into buildings if we're going with the, uh, the narrative here? Just doesn't seem, you know, for is Israel, which is the heaviest security state in the world, monitors everything that goes on in that territory to not see this coming is a major black eye. And to know that they knew about it a year before and did nothing, even more of a black eye. Okay, so the approximately 40-page document, which Israeli authorities codenamed Jericho Wall, outlined point by point exactly the kind of devastating invasion that led to the deaths of about 1,200 people. Translated, uh, the translated document, which was reviewed by the New York Times, did not set a date for the attack, but described a methodical assault designed to overwhelm the fortifications around the Gaza Strip, take over Israeli cities, and storm key military bases, including division headquarters. Now, what was one of the other um, purposes to this invasion? Well, one was to go in and get hostages. Why? Because they wanted to exchange them for quote-unquote prisoners in Israel. Now, what are some of the what are what are a lot of these prisoners? They're political prisoners, but they they have women and children in Israeli prisons. Palestinian women and children are in Israeli prisons in in Israel are locked up in Israeli confinement, and and that was part of this was they were going to take people to exchange them. They need a bargaining chip. They have nothing. They're in open air prison. A concentration camp, you could say. Hamas followed the blueprint with shocking precision. The document called for a barrage of rockets at the outset of the attack, drones to knock out the security cameras and automated machine guns along the border, and gunmen to pour into Israel en masse in paragliders, on motorcycles, and on foot, all of which happened on October 7th. The plan also includes details about the location and size of Israeli military forces, communication hubs, and other sensitive information, raising questions about how Hamas gathered its intelligence and whether there were leaks inside of it, it, the Israeli security establishment. 
The document circulated widely among Israeli military and intelligence leaders, but experts determined that an attack of that scale and ambition was beyond Hamas's capabilities, according to documents and officials. It is unclear whether Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu or other top political leaders saw the document as well. Last year, after the document was obtained, officials in the Israeli military's Gaza division, which is responsible for defending the border with Gaza, said that Hamas's intentions were unclear. It is not yet possible to determine whether the plan has been fully accepted and how it will be manifested, read the military assessment reviewed by the Times. Then in July, just three months before the attacks, a veteran uh, analyst with Unit 8200, Isra uh, Israel's Signals Intelligence Agency, warned that Hamas had conducted an intense day-long training exercise that appeared to be similar to what was outlined in the blueprint. But a colonel in the Gaza division brushed off her concerns, according to encrypted emails viewed by the Times. I utterly refute that scenario is imaginary, the analyst wrote in email exchanges. The Hamas training exercise, he said, fully matched the content of Jericho Wall. It is a plan designed to start a war. It's not just a raid on a village, she said. Officials privately concede that had the military taken these warnings seriously and redirected significant reinforcements to the south where Hamas attacked, Israel could have blunted the attacks or possibly prevented them. Instead, the Israeli military was unprepared as terrorists streamed out of the Gaza Strip. It was the deadliest day in Israel's history. Israeli security officials have already acknowledged that they failed to protect the country and the government is expected to assemble a commission to study the events leading up to the attacks. The Jericho Wall document lays a bare, uh, lays bare a years-long cascade of missteps that culminated in uh, what officials now regard as the worst Israeli intelligence failure since the surprise attack that led to the Arab-Israeli War in 1973. Underpinning all of these failures was a single, fatally inaccurate belief that Hamas lacked the capability to attack and would not dare to do so. That belief was so ingrained in the Israeli government that they disregarded growing evidence to the contrary, just like 9-11. The Israeli military and Israeli security agency, which is in charge of counterterrorism in Gaza, declined to comment. Officials would not say how they obtained the Jericho Wall document, but it was among several versions of the plan attack plans collected over the years. A two, uh, 2016 Defense Ministry memorandum viewed by the Times, for example, says Hamas intends to move the next confrontation into Israeli territory. Such an attack would most likely involve hostage taking and occupying an Israeli community or and perhaps even a number of communities, Okay, which is kind of what they did. The Jericho Wall document named for the ancient fortifications in the modern-day West Bank was even more explicit. It detailed rocket attacks to distract Israeli soldiers and send them hurrying into bunkers and drones to disable elaborate security measures along the border fence separating Israel from Gaza. Hamas fighters would then break through the 60 points in the wall, storming across the border into Israel. The document began with the quote from the Quran, surprise them through the gate. If you do, you will certainly prevail. Okay, the same phrase has been widely used by Hamas in its video since October 7th. One of the most important objectives outlined in the document was to overrun an Israeli military base in Raim, which is home to the Gaza division responsible for protecting the region. Other bases that fell under the division's command were also listed. So they definitely went after military targets. It wasn't just civilians. Okay, Hamas carried out that objective on October 7th, rampaging through Raim and overrunning parts of the base. The audacity of the blueprint made it uh, easy to underestimate. All militaries write plans that they never use. And Israeli, and Israeli officials assess that even Hamas invaded, it must might muster a force of a few dozen, not the hundreds who ultimately attacked. Israel had also misread Hamas's actions. The group had negotiated for permits to allow Palestinians to work in Israel, which Israeli officials took as a sign that Hamas was not looking for war. 
but Hamas had been drafting attack plans for many years, and Israeli officials had gotten hold of previous iterations of them. What could have been intelligence coup turned into one of the worst miscalculations in Israel's 75-year history. In September 2016, the defense minister's office compiled uh, a top-secret memorandum based on much earlier iteration of the Hamas attack plan. Okay, uh, The memo, which was viewed by the Times, said that Hamas had purchased sophisticated weapons, GPS jammers, and drones. It also said that Hamas had increased its fighting force to 27,000, having added 6,000 to its rank in a two-year period. Hamas had, had, had hoped to reach 40,000 by 2020, the memo determined. Last year, after Israel obtained the, the Jericho Wall document, the military's Gaza division drafted its own intelligence assessment of the latest invasion plan. Hamas had decided to plan a new raid, unprecedented in scope, analysts wrote in the assessment reviewed by the Times. It said that Hamas intended to carry out a deception operation followed by a large-scale maneuver with the aim of overwhelming division. But the Gaza division referred to the plan as a compass. In other words, the division determined that Hamas knew where it wanted to go, but had not arrived there yet. On July 6, 2023, the veteran unit 8200 uh, analyst wrote a group of other intelligence experts that dozens of Hamas commandos had recently conducted training exercises with senior Hamas commanders observing. The training included a dry run of shooting down Israeli aircraft and taking over a kibbutz and a military training base, killing all of the cadets. During the exercise, Hamas fighters used the same phrase from the Quran that appeared in the top of the Jericho Wall attack plan. Analysts warned that the drill closely followed the uh, Jericho Wall plan and that Hamas was building capacity to carry it out. The colonel in the Gaza division applauded the analysts but said the exercise was part of a totally imaginative scenario, not an indication of Hamas's ability to pull it off. In short, let's wait patiently, the colonel wrote. The back and forth continued, with some of the colleagues supporting the analyst's original conclusion. Soon, she invoked the lessons of 1973 war, in which Syrian and Egyptian armies overran Israeli defenses. Israeli forces regrouped and repelled the invasion, but intelligence failure has long served as a lesson for Israeli security officials. We already underwent a similar experience 50 years ago on the Southern Front in connection with the scenario that seemed imaginary. And history may repeat itself if we are not careful, the analyst wrote to her colleagues. So the warnings are all there, right? She's saying, and, and even here, she goes, uh, the leader of Hamas was not interested in war with Israel, but she correctly assessed Hamas's capabilities had drastically improved. The gap between the possible and the aspirational had narrowed significantly. So they knew they were getting better, getting larger. The failures to connect the dots echoed another analytical failure more than two decades ago, when the American authorities had also had multiple indications that the terrorist group Al-Qaeda was preparing an assault. The September 11, 2001 attacks on the Pentagon and World Trade Center were largely a failure of analysis and Im imagination, a government commission concluded. Now, Hold on, let's see. We uh, the Israeli intelligence failure on October seventh is sounding more and more like our nine eleven," said Ted Singer, a recently retired senior CIA official who worked extensively in the Middle East. The failure will be a gap in analysis to paint a convincing picture to military and political leadership that Hamas had the intention to launch the attack when it did. Okay, so the interesting thing about that is the 9-11 connection, right? Well, what intelligence agencies do you think communicate a lot? You would say the CIA, MI5, um, Mossad. Hmm. Now, who's giving these plans you know, uh, on both ends in 9-11, could it be that both of these were orchestrated and allowed to happen by Mossad? 
Now, you may say that's a crazy conspiracy theory, Ask it, simply asking you a question. Is it possible that Mossad could have its hand in both of these events? I don't know. I haven't delved that deep into it, but I know from what I've researched in 9-11 that they may have had a hand in it. They may have had agents in it. I don't know. But it's a very interesting thing to see this. So, well, why, why is this, you know, relevant? Well, we just talked about the 1,200, okay, the 1,200 dead. Now, one of the things I wanted to... Uh, nope. Let's see, where is this story? Okay, that's the 9-11. Okay. Now, okay, this is what I wanted to share with you all. What we have is after there were reports on October 7th that there were Israeli helicopters that were targeting Hamas fighters at the festival. Then you say, okay, well, could that mean that some of those that were killed at the festival were friendly fire from these helicopters? Well, it says here, and this is from the Business Insider, IDF combat helicopter targeting Hamas fighters at Nova Festival Massacre shot some partygoers by mistake, says Haretz. Remember, Haretz is an Israeli newspaper, and this is from November 19th. Okay, so what it says here, an Israeli police investigation into the Music Festival Massacre on October 7th indicates that the IDF mistakenly shot some festival attendees while firing at Hamas. The alleged debacle was reported by the Israeli newspaper Haaretz, citing an unnamed police source. The source told Haaretz that their police investigation said an IDF combat helicopter fired at Hamas fighters after arriving on the scene. While targeting the perpetrators, the helicopter also hit some festival goers, the source said. Um, after Haaretz published its report, Israeli police released a statement pushing back. It said, per the Times of Israel, the actions of the IDF were beyond the remit of investigation the source was speaking about. It also asked the media outlets only report information from government officials. Gee, only stay with the government narrative. Don't go outside of it, right? 364 people were killed at the festival, a third of the fatalities, right? So that's where most of your civilians were killed because the other third was uh, IDF. And then, you know, the rest was the poor innocent civilians around the towns. Israel's security assessment is that Hamas did not have, have advance of the Nova Music Festival next to the kibbutz Raim, but they were going for, we knew they were going for Raim, right? They said they were going for not only the, the kibbutz, they were going for that military base, okay? Um, and targeted it, so they targeted the music festival spontaneously after infiltrating Gaza's border. The festival was initially built to end Friday night and only extended to Saturday late in the day. Approximately 3,500 people attended the psychedelic trance festival three miles away from the Gaza border. Alongside the fatalities, dozens of festival attendees were kidnapped and taken to Gaza. A video of a 25-year-old Noah Argamani uh, being hoisted onto a motorcycle by militants while calling for her boyfriend went viral on social media. Okay. Um, so that's an interesting report right there. Okay. You see, maybe it's possible that IDF choppers had some friendly fire. Well, guys, that sounds an awful lot like Vegas. Because you go back to that and there were reports there of helicopters that were firing into the crowd. 
And again, what were we told with that one? Nope. Trust the narrative. Don't go outside the government information. And this is what happens because they have concocted a story as after after the fact, maybe prior to, depending on how deep their involvement is. But you have to look at this stuff and start putting two and two together. Now, why is this suspicious? Okay, well, this raised a red flag with me as well. It did not sit well when I see, uh, where is it? Okay, right here, this report from November 22nd from the Jerusalem Post. This is why Israel plans to bury hundreds of cars with ashes and bloodstains. To preserve the sanctity of those murdered by Hamas for the first time since the establishment of the state, they decided to bury vehicles. Okay, so first time ever, they're going to bury vehicles. That sounds to me like you're trying to bury some evidence. Due to the lack of body parts or remains of many of those killed on a, in the October 7th Hamas massacre, the Zaka has recommended burying the cars for those who were killed in them. Okay. Zaka Tel, Tel Aviv is the emergency response unit of central Israel, serving over 21 cities and across the country with thousands of volunteers and is recognized as a civil extension of Israeli's emergency services. One of the organization's unit is dedicating to ensuring dignity and death, particularly in situations of sudden or unexpected loss. N12 reported on Tuesday that the organization, after intense and distressing efforts, concluded that they could not locate or clean all the remains of the victims inside the vehicles in which they were slaughtered. Okay. Now, look at these vehicles. Let me see if I can zoom in here for you. Uh, No. No, they're not going to let me. Let me see. Do we have that picture over here? Nope. I have it. Anyway, but what you'll notice is there are bullet holes in the top of the cars. This looks like it was hit by a missile. There's a hole in the top of the car. Well, it was reported that they had some grenades and some RPGs. At best, Hamas did. They didn't have missiles. They weren't, didn't have the ability to shoot from the air down. So that tells you only one thing, that there is a very good chance that this could be a cover-up. Vehicles to be buried in the first time in Israel Israel's history, okay? Of course, for Israel's 9-11. Some of the cars have bloodstains or ashes that are difficult to collect for various technical reasons that have to do with the way these individuals were killed. In order to preserve the sanctity of the deceased, they decided to bury the vehicles. According to the report, after consulting with the military uh, rabbinate and the chief rabbinate, hundreds of vehicles will be buried in the coming few days in Jewish cemeteries across Israel. How many people were killed in cars, by the way? I'd be interested to know that because hundreds of people were killed in cars. What did they do? Just go, I mean, this sounds like a Lahaina type scenario, but they weren't trapped by fire. I, I, again, questions. The chief rabbinate, as well as religious services, uh, services ministry, have yet to officially respond to this report. Israel Hasid, a former sp- a spokesperson for Zaka Tel Aviv, addressed the pressing issue with the Jerusalem Post on Tuesday. He explained that the uh, rabbi, Yaakov Rosa, the rabbinic authority of Zaka, and the most highly established halakhic figure in Israel concerning proper burial raised a critical question regarding the disposal of vehicles after they have undergone cleaning. After the massacre where hundreds were killed and, or were burned alive in vehicles. Hundreds killed and burned alive in vehicles. These are vehicles that have become contaminated with ashes or blood, making it impossible to completely cleanse them. Rabbi Rosa proposed the idea of burying several hundred such vehicles. 
those that cannot be fully cleaned in designated burial sites. Hasid emphasized that the final decision in this matter must be sanctioned by either the chief rabbinate or religious services ministry, and that the decision is expected to be reached and publicly announced in the coming days. The process of burial will involve placing these vehicles in designated burial pits, akin to how significant findings are treated in major tragedies. According to Halakha, Jewish law, ashes or blood remains are holy and need to be buried. Yet, they aren't necessarily buried in a cemetery with the deceased, but in a designated burial pit. Importantly, there won't be any headstones above these plots, and they won't be buried in a cemetery. Hasid explained, adding that he assumed the state would build some sort of monument above these plots. In order to save space and be as environmentally friendly as possible, Hasid explained that the cars may be shredded before being buried. Okay, nothing wrong with that, right? We're just going to shred them and just grind up those human remains. I mean, come on. The underwriting rationale behind this initiative is to maximize space efficiency by compacting the existing vehicles. Hasid added, it is believed that creating a unique memorial in this manner will provide solace to some grieving families who are uncertain about the whereabouts of their loved ones. The families are highly supportive of this initiative, understanding that it may include the ashes or blood of their dear ones who will find a final resting place in this manner. Okay. I call tremendous horseshit on this burying of the cars thing. This does not seem legit at all to me. I'm not buying that one one bit. Because where do we see this? 9-11, right? In the months after the attack of 9-11, which killed thousands of people and cost the U.S. $40 billion in damages, the shock at the tower collapse gave way a mantra scale of rec- rescue and cleanup, Okay. The remaining body parts would be painstakingly collected in 21,900 pieces scattered throughout the skyscraper's de- debris. Okay. So they kept digging and digging and digging. Um, okay. So the landfill would soon become the site for the most costly forensic investigation in U.S. history involving DNA and identification of damaged bone and statistical uh, of partial profiles. But the sifting through the melted uh, computers, corroded steel, broken glass, ash and dust, analysts could not systematically identify and separate human remains from architectural debris. Okay. Though the site was considered a health hazard, the tower's structural steel was not And what do we know? They never miss an opportunity for a little profit, even when it comes to World Trade Center steel. So what did they do? The scrap metal industry bought the building's remains and sold them for profit to Chinese and Indian secondhand metal markets. Okay, we don't bury ours. We sell it to the Chinese and let them use it. Okay, one scrap processor under contract with the New York City Department of Sanitation had purchased and cut down the metal at fresh kills with uh, torching equipment. Another company, Shanghai-based Bao Steel Group, bought an additional 50,000 tons of large structural beams auctioned by New York City at $120 a ton. Despite an early and unsuccessful attempt by Greenpeace to qualify the scrap exports as hazardous and banned their repurposing in the global south. The steel reached India within six months of the tragedy. Several buildings were built with the Twin Tower steel across Indian cities, including a college, a car maintenance yard, arcades, and get it, a trade center. So how weird is that? That some of the human remains from 9-11 could now be part of buildings in India. Okay. An affidavit filed in 2007 
before a Manhattan federal judge reveals that the remains mixed with the debris powders known as fines had been allegedly carried away by city employees to fill ruts and potholes in New York City. The remains of a privately owned vertical tower had been used to patch a broken horizontal public road network. So they're using this stuff <laughs> to replace. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's kind of creepy. And this one talks about it here. Um, steel was structural material of the buildings. As such, it was most important evidence to preserve in the order uh, to puzzle out how the structures held up the impacts and fires, but then disintegrated into rubble. Since the collapse of the steel frame skyscrapers due to fires is completely unprecedented, the steel should have been subjected to detailed analysis. So what did the authorities do with the key evidence of the vast crime and unprecedented engineering failures? They recycled it, right? They say uh, some 185,101 tons of structural steel have been hauled away from ground zero. Most of the steel has been recycled as per the city's decision to swiftly send the wreckage to salvage yards in New Jersey. The city's hasty move has outraged many of the victims' families who believe the steel uh, should have been examined more thoroughly. Last month, the fire experts told Congress that about 80% of the steel, steel was scrapped without being examined by investigators did not have the authority to preserve the wreckage. The bulk of the steel, steel was apparently shipped to China and India. The Chinese firm Barrow Steel purchased 50,000 tons um, at $120 per ton compared to the average price of 160 paid by local mills in the previous year. So they're paying less for this stuff. They're just trying to get rid of it. Why? Is it evidence? Mayor Bloomberg, a former engineering major. <laughs> We're going to get Mayor Bloomberg, okay? Captain Dipshit himself was not concerned about the American destruction, about the destruction of evidence. Of course not. He's a parasite. He's part of the parasite class. He doesn't care about us, Goyim. Oh, if you want to take a look at the construction methods and the design that's in this day and age, what computers do, just looking at a piece of metal generally doesn't tell you anything. Yeah, you parasitic piece of crap. What if it has human remains? Or you, oh, you can't tell anything by the steel, right? Like maybe it had thermite on it beforehand. I mean, it, it's just... And so it goes on here... Um, According to FEMA, more than 350,000 tons of steel were extracted from ground zero and barged or trucked to salvage yards where it was cut up for recycling. Four salvage yards were contracted to process the steel, uh, all of which are in New Jersey. Okay. And so, I mean, you see this and it's just, I don't know, man. I don't know about you, but my spidey senses are tingling right now. Uh, I don't know what that is. Okay, we're going to close that. We looked at the helicopters. Okay. Now, um, what was this one I wanted to look at? Oh, the timeline. Okay. So, again, this is just showing how many how many people died but again you have to understand the timing of all this right this this just worked out perfectly for satan yahoo okay the fact that the most secure nation in the world got caught with its pants down and 1200 of its citizens are now dead that's not good you know, and, and you start looking at what happened on that day, how the events transpired, how it is dealt with after the fact. And this is where you start, it starts really raising questions because it, there's a lot of shady stuff that goes on. And after you get out outside of the initial um, heat of it, it's... 
you know, it's it's a very difficult thing to understand. And, and a lot of people don't, and they're just going to get wrapped up in the emotion. Now, I want to play this video for you because I said before about, you know, the full 40 beheadings. And there's still people out there. There are still corporate media out there pushing the 40 beheaded babies bullshit. I saw it on the 700 Club this morning. Because I've been watching that because the propaganda on there is unbelievable how these, you know, Christian leaders are just Zionists in disguise. They are just pushing this Zionist agenda as hard as possible. And they will use propaganda to do it. And this is propaganda right here. So listen up. I never really thought that I would see and have confirmed pictures of terrorists beheading children. A White House spokesperson later clarified that U.S. officials and the president have not seen pictures or confirmed such reports independently. The White House clarifies that President Joe Biden and other U.S. officials have not seen or independently confirmed that Hamas terrorists beheaded Israeli children. The Israeli Defense Forces could not confirm a horrific claim that Hamas beheaded babies during a weekend assault. See? Could not verify there's no evidence of this and this is this is part of the story now here's the other interesting thing when reporters go over to israel to report on this they are brought in they were brought into a room and shown videos that were supposed to be you know game changing well if those videos are so game changing why aren't they brought to the public why what about them can't we see that's so game changing. If it's game changing, we should see it, right? If you have evidence of 40 beheaded babies, not that I want to see it, but show us the proof that you have. Because I've heard a lot over the years from these three-letter agencies and Mossad and things like, oh, we have the evidence, but they never show it to you. Never, never come forward with it. And that's what really bothers me in these instances because it's, it's bullshit. And then... Now, on top of that, you have your government, okay, the American government, which wants, is pushing, not only uh, making anti-Semitism hate speech, anti-Zionism, which is insane. That's insanity. The fact that you cannot criticize the Israeli government is ridiculous. You're going to protect the Israeli government more than our own. And it just shows you who these people really work for. Who these people are really controlled by. Mossad has blackmail on the majority of our politicians. Okay? And that's why they are where they are. That whole, it's a big club and you ain't in it. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so I wanted to I want to play one more thing and we're getting out of here. Understanding something crucial about Israel, it says here in this tweet from Richard Medhurst. When the Israeli defense ministry used genocidal language and called the Palestinians human animals, this is a very specific term that comes from the Talmud. The Bible says don't kill. The Talmud says rise and kill first. It teaches anyone who isn't Jewish uh, anyone who isn't, it teaches anyone that isn't Jewish is a human animal, a goy or goyim, and deserves to be killed. Israel calls itself the Jewish state, but Zionism by its nature is genocidal and relies on many extremist teachings from the Talmud that run counter to the Bible. So what we had is, and I'll play this video for you right here real quick. This is about the... um bill they were passing the resolution in congress you guys here this morning congress passed a bill that criticizing israel or criticizing zionism is equivalent to criticizing judaism so our government everybody every single member of congress except for one republican thomas massey and rashida talib um, abstained from voting she didn't even vote no <sighs> They all voted that Zionism 
is the same thing as Judaism. I just want to ask my Jewish friends out there, how does that make you feel? Does that make you feel seen? Right? And you look, and here's the resolution. It's, uh, let's see, it says, reaffirming the state of Israel's right to exist, whereas the Jewish people are native to the land of Israel. Whereas throughout history and across the reign of multiple kingdoms, the Jewish people were persecuted and expelled from the land of Israel, forced to live as minority diaspora communities in other lands. Whereas Jewish diaspora communities were historically violently persecuted in, and in some cases expelled from other countries throughout the Middle East, Europe, Africa, and Asia due to their religion. Whereas the Nazis attempted to annihilate the entire Jewish population of Europe during the Holocaust, murdering 6 million Jews during this time. What's well, some very strong speech from the House Resolution Committee? Because there's no mention in there of what they've done since to the land. How they've created an open-air prison in Gaza how they've continuously taken land in both the West Bank and Gaza and pinned the Palestinians in. Look at the 1947-48 agreement and even look at the, uh, what was it, 67 agreement and then look at where, we are, where they are today. And we've looked at that map in, in previous shows. But actually, you know what? I'll show it to you right here. Where is it? Uh, do, do, do. Um, anyway. Anyway. We're, we're, what we're looking at here, guys, is a, you know, <laughs> a perfect, perfect scenario, right? In a time where Netanyahu and his party were being protested for 10 months straight. Coincidentally, they had their guard down and Hamas struck at the perfect time. And in retaliation now, we are over 15,000 dead Palestinians for the 12,000 Israelis. When is enough enough? Because much like 9-11... It is disgusting that 3,000 Americans lost their lives on that day. But what is equally as disgusting is the millions of people who were killed around the world in response to 9-11 and the war on terror. Because that's criminal. What, what Bush, Obama, what those guys did is, is just straight up criminal killing millions around the world in the name of democracy, mind you, which is even more disgusting, right? In the name of freedom, we come, we come in freedom, right? It's bullshit. We come in empire. We come as totalitarian dictators, iron fist, either you're with us, in the immortal words of George Bush, or you're with the terrorists. And that's the way they want you to look at everything. Now, one of the, one of the funniest things I find right now going on is that if you disagree with Israel, you are pro-Hamas, right? And that rationale is, is comical at best, right? That's, that's elementary logic. Oh, so if you're not for this person, you must be for this person. No, I'm not for either of them. I'm team humanity, right? I want to see people stop, just stop dying, like Trump said about Ukraine. Just want to see people stop dying. That's it. I'm done. Done with the wars, senseless wars. Done with seeing money just getting wasted away as they blow up stuff left and right. Sick of seeing civilians die and displaced. Why is there such a major immigration problem all over the world? Well, because of the war on terror and the war that has taken place all around the world by the American empire. And they have forced these people out of their countries. 
by bombing them into oblivion like Obama did, by claiming them to be terrorists like Bush's administration did. I mean, it's it's just nonsense, guys, all of it. And this right here, October 7th, has some very, very shady elements to it. Now, am I am I saying that Israel let it happen so that they could go and just commit genocide in, in Gaza? No, I'm not saying that. But when a good opportunity presents itself, you never let it go to waste. And that's what Israel thinks they're doing right here. Right? Well, they opened the door for us. So now we're going to finish it. And I heard even crazy talk today. They were talking about possibly flooding the tunnels with seawater, drowning people out. Like, come on, man. This is just savage nonsense at this point. 700 people killed in 24 hours. How many of those are Hamas fighters? And how many of those are women, children, elderly, and innocent civilians? But nobody seems to care about that on the main and the corporate media. It's always woe is Israel. Now look at our Congress, same thing. And that's what I wanted to show you here is that these politicians, they're so out of touch. They are so Zionist mindset that they can't even fathom what's going on right now and that anyone would even dare to oppose what Israel's doing, even question the what Israel's response. Because their response is a war crime. And people should, never will be, account held accountable. All right, guys. That's all I got for tonight. This is a nice little short one. I just wanted to get that out there because I keep seeing, and, and you know, we made our uh, initial assessment of this when it when it took place. And it's starting to pan out, much like we said. There's a lot of cover-ups. There's a lot of misinformation reported initially, and it's starting to come to light. And what it's showing is not a good picture for Israel related to their response. And the just pure savagery of it. 15,000 dead. In retaliation for 1,200 dead. Not, you know, what happened to an eye for an eye? You know, and people wouldn't have had a problem with this if they went strictly after the terrorists. Well, they're hidden in bunkers under the hospital. Who built those bunkers? Israel built those bunkers. Look into it. Those bunkers underneath the hospital were built by the IDF when they were the police force in Gaza. Do a little research. Stop being so lazy and suckering on the corporate tea. Because it's it's unbelievable that how many people do not know that Israel supports Hamas. Israel's the biggest supporter of Hamas. Israel created Hamas. Israel has Hamas there as a puppet to divide the Palestinian people. And it has said so repeatedly. But you don't want to see that. And you don't want to listen to Biden tell us that Basically, Israel is a deal because that's our um, aircraft carrier in the Middle East, you know, our foothold. Because if, if we don't have Israel, it's going to cost us a lot more to be as influential in the area as we are. But we're not going to listen to that. We've got to be better than this. We've got to use discernment. Look at this stuff. See patterns, notice patterns. And that's what this set off for me. I keep seeing replays of 9-11, very similarities between tragedies that have taken place in America. And we know these parasites in the three-letter agencies, Mossad, MI5, whatever you want, CIA, Five Eyes, right? All those scumbags. They know. They know stuff going on not a lot happens that they aren't aware of and don't let happen all right so on that note 
We are going to get out of here. I want you guys to have a great day. Everyone, stay strong. Question everything. Right after 9-11, about 10 days after 9-11, I went through the Pentagon and I saw Secretary Rumsfeld and and Deputy Secretary Wolfowitz. I went downstairs just to say hello to some of the people on the joint staff who had used, used to work for me. And one of the generals called me and he said, sir, you got to come in. You got to come in and talk to me a second. We've made the decision we're going to war with Iraq. This was on or about the 20th of September. Why? He said, I don't know. <laughs> like, we don't know what to do about terrorists, but We've got a good military and we can take down governments. And um, he said, I guess if, if the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem has to look like a nail. And by that time we were bombing in Afghanistan. I said, are we still going to war with Iraq? And he said, oh, it's worse than that. This is a memo that describes how we're going to take out seven countries in five years, starting with Iraq and then Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finishing off Iran.